Nick, you heard me share a story about a painting that once hung in the Louvre in Paris, France. Uh, it was a painting entitled Checkmate. And, and it was a picture of two chess players. One of the players is depicted as Satan. The artist painted him with a face that appeared arrogantly cocky and clearly confident in his next move. The other player is portrayed as a dejected-looking man who uh, appears to be frightened, discouraged, and defeated. And the two are playing a game of chess. You know that chess is a game of strategy. And by all appearances, it looks like the game is over and that the devil has secured the victory. He's gloating in this picture because he's so confident of it. Now, if you know anything about the game of chess, you know it all comes down to uh, when the king on either side has no moves left. Once the king is cornered, the winning side declares checkmate and the game is over. And the artist that painted this picture uh, did a great job of painting the devil looking smug and confident that defeat was imminent. Legend has it that uh, a chess grandmaster was visiting the Louvre and he was mesmerized by this painting. And so he studied it for a long time, focusing specifically on the chessboard and the arrangement of the pieces. As he studied the painting in detail, the grandmaster uh, took note that contrary to popular belief, the devil was in fact not winning at all. The dejected, forlorn, forlorn man who thought he was losing, with one more move from his king, could actually secure the victory. So instead, this man was defeated because he didn't realize that his king had one move left. I read that story, and I realized that sometimes in life, we feel like the man in the painting. We ignorantly accept defeat from the devil, not realizing that our king has another move left. We go through life full of fear and anxiety, feeling defeated and despondent over the devil's strategic moves in our lives, and he convinces us that we're powerless against his next move and that defeat is inevitable. And all the time, we're ignorant that our king has one move left. I need to remind you that we serve a champion who has never been defeated. We serve a king who, when all, appearances, when all appears hopeless, is, always has another move left. He will never be backed into a corner, and he is never without the final move. We see it time and time again recorded in Scripture. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were, all, were thrown into a fiery furnace. That furnace was turned, was turned up seven times hotter than normal. And by all appearances, it looked like their enemy had won. But their king had one move left. Daniel was lowered into a lion's den full of hungry lions, and it looked like he was going to be torn apart, but his king had one move left. 
A nine-foot-tall, smack-talking giant named Goliath was defying the armies of Israel, and they were feeling powerless and defeated. But a young shepherd boy arose and took him on because he knew that his king would not be defeated and that he had one move left. And after being enslaved for 430 years, the Israelites were being pursued by their enemies and stood powerless before a formidable Red Sea. It looked like they were cornered and defeated. But their king had one move left. And then there was Jesus, our Messiah, the Son of God, who was tortured, spat on, crucified, and buried for three days. And it looked like that gloating devil had the victory. But his king had one move left. And some of you are sitting here tonight feeling defeated, hopeless, and powerless over situations in your life. But I'm here to tell you that your king still has a move left. The enemy cannot defeat you. You fight from victory, not for victory. Your king leads you in triumph. Victory is assured for us, but we just have to enforce it. We have to believe it. And maybe you're here tonight and you're dealing with depression or despair or marriage issues or family issues or a health crisis or financial issues or broken relationship or maybe you're dealing with loss or deep pain or just plain discouragement. And maybe like the man in the painting, you just want to give up. But I have news for you. Your king has not been backed into a corner by the devil. You are not going to lose this battle. It is not checkmate. You don't have to live your life feeling defeated and despondent. Your king still has some moves left, and he will have the final move. Victory is assured. Please understand that I'm not trying to minimize what you're going through or what you've been through in your life. That there is a reason scripture calls the Christian walk a battle. But we have to learn how to enforce the victory Christ died for us to have. And so over the next couple months, we're going to learn how to do just that. We're going to learn how to navigate the spiritual realm, and we're going to begin participating in the victory Christ secured for us. We're going to learn how to war effectively in the spirit realm and stop living defeated and dejected lives. It's not going to be for the faint-hearted. I'm not, I'm not going to lead you astray. It's a lot of information. But I promise you, if you hang in there, each one of us is going to begin living more productive Christian lives. We're going to start tonight. I, I have this tendency to, to just vomit out everything I've studied and, and give you way too much information that you can't process. And, and so I, I really am trying to hold myself back tonight. I, I'm going to discipline myself to just give you little nuggets each week versus the whole nine yards and, and so that you can process it, so that you can chew on it, that you can meditate on it, and that you can really begin to implement it in your life. Sometimes I know when I preach, it's like drinking water out of a fire hydrant. And, but I am really asking the Lord to help me back off. This subject is way, way, way too important. We're going to begin this series on spiritual warfare. As you recall, we end it 
uh, this year, the, the, this, the Bible study uh, last, what, April, uh, when I was teaching on spiritual warfare, and I got taken out with one issue after another. And Dave said, Rhea, what are you thinking? That you would pick that back up again. I'm thinking that my king still has one move left. And we're going to let him move. And so would you just pray with me as we begin? Father, I thank you for your word. Oh, Lord, I thank you. I thank you that you're a king that never gets backed into a corner, that you are all-powerful, that you are all-knowing, that you are a good, good father, that you are faithful, true, and just, that you never leave us, that you never forsake us, that you never relax your hold on us. You are with us tonight, Lord God, like a mighty warrior. Father, I pray that your spirit would just fall afresh in this place, that you would saturate the atmosphere with your presence, Lord God. I thank you that your word, I declare and decree it into the spiritual atmosphere tonight that your word will not return void in this place, that it's going to go forth and it's going to prosper for the very thing that you sent it to do. Lord, your word is powerful. I pray that it would pierce hearts and minds tonight, Lord God, that it would change us and transform us. Father, I'm asking that you keep a lock over my lips, that you let my eyes fall on only what you want me to say, that you bring things to mind, and Lord, that you would help me to clearly and effectively Preach your word in this house tonight. Be glorified, my king, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles tonight, you can open them and please bring them. Uh, I'm going to teach this series for, a, uh, I don't know, maybe 10 weeks. And it's really important that you have your Bibles with you. The Bible calls the Word of God the sword of the Spirit. It's a sword. It's a weapon. Be bringing your weapon with you. We're going we're gonna to search the, the Scripture. I want you to take notes. There's too much good stuff for you to miss. And so please make sure you, you try to bring your Bibles with you. I know you have your phones, but there's just something about a paper Bible to take some notes in. And Yeah, so Ephesians chapter 6. I begin reading in verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, because of this, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day and having done all to stand, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you are, will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for the saints and for me that utterance may be given to me and that I may open my mouth and make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains and that I may speak it as boldly as I ought to speak. 
As I said tonight, I'm going to begin a series on spiritual warfare, and we're going to call it Armed and Dangerous because that's the desire of my heart, that we would end this series with, with, with you and I being armed and dangerous in a way that we weren't before. Uh, I've been studying this topic for some time, and as I said, I have so much information, and I, I just want to vomit it on you because I'm learning so much, and, and I'm so aware of how ignorant we are of, of this uh, topic. And so there's so much that I want to say to you, but I really am going to be disciplined and purposeful about giving you just enough to chew on. And so if you leave tonight saying, wow, we finished early, she didn't give us a whole lot of information, I did that on purpose. <laughs> and we're going to revisit some of the things that we've already talked about and that I talk about on a, on a regular basis. I, scripture says, I think it's Paul that says, I know you already know this, but I'm going to tell you again. Basically, I'm going to keep telling you till you get this, and I'm going to keep telling you at least till I get it, uh, because I, I, there's so much to, um, to swallow. There's so much to understand, and so we're going to revisit some of those things, and so just bear with me. We're going to get to new information as we go on. I promise you this is a series that you don't want to miss. It is changing my life, um, and, and I know that it's going to change yours as well. So whether you realize it or not, every true believer is involved in warfare. We are in a battle. Even if you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I'm just going to tell you, you are not exempt from this battle. You, you, are, you are still involved in this battle. You just don't have effective weapons. You just don't have a covering in this battle. Uh, you're, you're fighting with ineffective weapons. It would be like China coming into the United States and, and declaring war on us in our own territory. And our soldiers, our army would go out and begin to fight them with good weapons. <laughs> but they might knock on my door and, 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 and I am not a soldier. I'm a civilian that would be caught up in that war. And if you're here without Jesus, knowing Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are a civilian and you will suffer casualties without Jesus. Because this battle is a spiritual battle and it's fought in the spirit realm with spirit, with spirit weapons. The weapons that we fight with are not carnal. They're not fleshly in nature. They are mighty for the pulling down of strongholds. And we're going to learn uh, about that very thing. But we are involved in warfare, whether we like it or not. We're in a battle, a battle for our families, a battle for our marriages, a battle for finances, a battle for, for people's souls. We're, we're in a battle against addiction and despair. We're all in a battle. You name it. What is your battle? Everybody's battle looks different. Paul reminds us in Ephesians that our battle, though, is not against flesh and blood. You've heard me say this uh, a million times, uh, that we do not battle against flesh and blood. We, we battle against uh, principalities and evil forces in the heavenly realms. This battle is not a battle against people. It's not against people. It is, a, it is, a, it is the evil forces. It is the devil and his, his forces in the heavenly realm trying to defeat you and make you ineffective as Christians. I was talking to somebody today, and they said to me, Rhea, I am done nurturing hurt, and I'm, I'm done nurturing offense. And, 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 do you, and, and they, she said, and I'm never going to go back there again. Do you know why? 
because she realized that that hurt, nurturing that hurt, nurturing offense was only holding her back because her battle wasn't against the person who hurt her. The battle wasn't against the person who offended her. Some of you are sitting here tonight keeping a record of people's wrongs. The enemy is laughing. He's in that chess game looking smug and knowing that he has you cornered. He's going to yell checkmate because he doesn't want you to know this truth, that your battle is not against flesh and blood. He's defeating you with keeping a record of wrongs, with being offended, with nurturing the hurt that somebody did to you. Because he has you fooled, deceived into believing the battle is actually about a person. It's not. This is God's word. It's true. It's yea and amen to those who believe. He's not, a, he's not a man that he should lie. This word is all true. And so when he tells me that my battle is not against flesh and blood, it's the truth. That's why we say amen. It means truth. So be it. And see, the, the devil wants to keep you ineffective by you thinking that it's actually about a person. And he's going to make the battle right here in the natural realm. And I'm going to start battling Dave with carnal, ineffective weapons. My mouth. Cold shoulder. Silent treatment. Nasty, unkind words. And I'm going to go down for the count. I'm going to get, you know, there are casualties in battle. Battle, battle, casualties of battle look like a gunshot, look like a, a you know, a, a, a knife wound. Though, though there are casualties in battle, and there are casualties in this spiritual battle as well. When you start fighting with those kind of weapons, they're ineffective, and you are going to get taken out. The casualty is going to look like depression, despair, hopelessness, self-pity, anxiety, addiction. You're going to numb that pain with alcohol, with drugs. And you're going to be a casualty. I am not going to sit back on my watch and let you be casualties of this war. Because you do not battle against flesh and blood. You battle against principalities and evil forces. Let's start fighting the right battle. It's an unseen battle. It's an invisible battle. The problem with so many Christians is that we're trying to fight a spiritual battle in the natural, physical realm. And that's because so many of us don't even take that spiritual realm seriously. And the enemy loves that. He likes us to be ignorant of spiritual things. He likes us to instead focus on the problems in the natural. Satan's aim is to keep you from seeing where the true battle lies and to get you to waste your energies, your emotions, fighting in a different realm. The people who hurt you, you've heard me say this a million times, the people who hurt you are merely conduits of what's happening in that spiritual realm. The enemy, <laughs> you can't see him. He doesn't come to you with a red suit and horns and a pitchfork. In fact, the Bible says that he disguises himself as an angel of light. That means it looks good. When I want to be offended, it looks good to me. They hurt me. I'm not coming near you. That looks good to me. And the enemy says, yes. Can you hear the hiss? You have a right to nurse that offense. 
You have a right to be angry. You have a right to be hurt. You have a right to say that nasty thing. You have a right to gossip. And we start fighting in this natural realm and we're going to be ineffective and we're going to be held back from all that God has for us because it's a carnal weapon. It's a carnal weapon. Turn over to second, I'm off my notes already, but turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. This would be a really good scripture for you to memorize during this um, series. For though we walk in the flesh, this is flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought captive into the obedience of Christ. We're going to study this, that passage in depth in a couple weeks. But let me just jump there and just tell you that I was, I was um, I'm purposeful about this because I can be offend it pretty easily. I try not to be, but I can take offense. And I don't know about you. I know you're so much more spiritual than I am, but sometimes I can keep a record of wrongs. And that just causes me to live in defeat. That causes me to be ineffective. I, I, I don't know about you. Maybe you don't care about being effective spiritually, but I want to lay hands on the sick and have them recover. I want to cast out demons. I want to see signs and wonders. I want them to follow me. I want them to hound me down. I want them to follow me everywhere I go. But you see, this is what we want. Oh, I'm going to just, I'm not faking it. I'm not faking it till I make it. I'm not going to pretend. I'm not going to work you up and try to get you all emotional and make it look like I'm super spiritual. I want the real thing. I want the real thing. I want to walk in power. I want to walk in authority. I want to walk into a room and make devils tremble. That's what I want. And you can't do that if you're keeping a record of wrongs, if you're fighting a, 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 a spiritual battle on a physical realm. And if I get my carnal weapons out and I start fighting with those, I am going to go down uh, in the battle as a casualty. And there goes my, my um, power and there goes my authority. You've heard me say this a million times about my son Tyler. He's a police officer. He has power called a gun. He has authority. It's called a badge. And when he, is, when he is dressed in his uniform and he's got his badge on and his gun on his side and he's got a car with the emblem of the state of Minnesota, that boy's got power and authority. However, if he didn't have any of that on and he had his blue jeans on and his t-shirt and his soccer sandals and he stood out in traffic and he put his hand down and said, stop with the name of the law, I'd run him over because he has no power and authority. See, that's some of us as Christians. We're walking around saying, stop in the name of the Lord, and we're exercising power and authority that we don't have because we're not dressed. We're not dressed in obedience. We're not dressed saying, Lord, I I'm going to strip off all of this garbage in my life, and I'm going to walk according to your word because I want power and I want authority. Yes, you get heaven in there. You don't have to worry about that. But power and authority come. Through obedience. And that's one of the ways we fight in that spiritual realm. 
It's one of the ways we fight in the spiritual realm. And so this scripture, I, I stand over this scripture all the time and I say, Lord, I'm casting down right now any argument because the enemy is arguing with me right now and saying I have a right to be offended. The enemy is arguing with me right now. He's bringing this argument that what they said to me was really wrong and that they're just nasty and I need to stay far away from them or I need to tell them a thing or two because I can do that. And I have this argument going on in my head, and all the while I know what the Lord says. I know that he says, forgive because you've been forgiven. Be merciful because I've been merciful to you. Speak a kind word. <laughs> Love one another. And I know those scriptures too. But if I choose not to cast down that argument that I have a right to be offended, or I have a right to say that nasty thing, or I have a right to respond in that way, if I don't cast that thing down and take it captive to the obedience of Christ and say, I am giving up my rights, and instead I'm going to forgive because God tells me to forgive. I'm going to be kind and compassionate because that's how he instructs me to be. Then I become a casualty because I'm fighting with a carnal weapon. And so the, the, the friend that was telling me today that she, she laid down the hurt that she was nurturing, what she was saying is she cast down that argument that said she had a right to be hurt. And she picked up a weapon that was mighty for the pulling down of strongholds. Do you see the difference? We've got to get smart, church, in how we fight. This topic might be foreign to you. You might not even be sure you like to talk about it. Ignorance is bliss after all. Talking about the devil for some is spooky and it's scary to think about. I, I love Bill Johnson. He says, I don't think about the devil long enough just to get him in my sights. That all I, that's all I do. Just get him in my sights and fire away. There's a danger in... in uh, overemphasizing the power of the devil, but there's also a danger in ignoring his presence completely. But sometimes ignorance is bliss. But I have news for you. We have a very real enemy, and we are in a real battle. And Paul tells us, because of that, we need to put on the full armor of God. You, you, don't, you don't need armor if you're not in a battle. He tells us to take up these spiritual weapons. You don't need a weapon if you aren't expected to fight. So it's a battle, and we cannot afford it. We have to, to know we can't avoid it. We have to know how to fight it. We have to know how to fight it. Trust me, if you are not actively engaged in warfare and you don't know how to fight, you will become a casualty. I, I am learning that I used to think I need to fight if I'm having a problem in my life. I need to take authority over it, and I need to fight it, and, and I need to declare God's word over it. What I'm learning is this battle is taking place in the heavenlies. I'm, I am gonna, I'm gonna fight that thing off before it ever gets into the physical. I am gonna battle there, uh, and I'm gonna be intentional about it to keep it away from ever manifesting in the, in the physical. Some of you fight in a battle, but you wait till the manifestation happens in the natural, in the physical realm. And then you say, ugh, I gotta fight this thing. I have a list of declarations that I go over for my children and my grandchildren, for my marriage, because I am fighting that battle before it gets manifested. I am declaring God's word. I'm using the, the, the sword of the spirit to fight off the battle before it ever comes down into the natural. We're ignorant of spiritual warfare, and we don't realize our responsibility in it. The church, I'm telling you, the church is asleep here. We have a responsibility to, to, you know, we complain about the government. We complain about the world today. We complain about the culture and what we're seeing. But here's the problem, church. I'm just going to tell you, we are not assuming our rightful place and taking on the battle ourselves. 
We are not battling. We are not declaring God's word. And we're, we're not standing in the gap and taking up the authority that we carry. I told you that the battle we're fighting is invisible. I love this. It's being played out in, in the physical realm, but it's rooted in the spiritual. I agree with Tony Evans. He says this, and I love it. Whatever is plaguing you today in the physical realm is emanating from the spiritual realm. Whatever is plaguing you today in the physical realm is emanating from the spiritual realm. The enemy wants you to believe that your spouse, your boss, your friend, that drink, that drug, those emotions, even you yourself are the problem. But I'm here to tell you tonight that whatever is plaguing you in the physical realm is emanating from a spiritual realm. Get your focus off of the physical and put it on the spiritual. You might uh, believe that the devil gets too much attention or uh, you, you think, well, they're just kooky charismatics focusing on the devil. But I just need to tell you that the Bible teaches that the conflict is real. The devil has many names in scripture. Uh, he's called the liar. He's called the father of lies. He's called the accuser of the brethren. He's called a thief, a destroyer. But I think the one that describes him best, at least in my life, is the deceiver. It's what he does best. It's his M.O. Genesis 3.1 says this. Listen to this. Now the serpent was more crafty, subtle, skilled in deceit than any other living creature that the Lord God made. He's skilled in deceit. That's why Ephesians 6, what we read, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. Why? So that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. That word scheme, some of your translations might say wiles, but it means, uh, it, it, it means deceptive strategies, cunning arts, deceit, craft, trickery. He is Mr. Tricky. I'm just going to tell you that. He is Mr. Tricky. He is skilled in deceit. His goal is to deceive you into taking the bait that he sets for you. Unlike the cartoons that you and I have seen, he does not come to us dressed in red in a pitchfork and horns. As I said, he's an angel of light. Darkness and light are metaphors for evil and good. He appears good. He disguises himself in a manner that looks good and appealing to us. And he draws us in and gets us to take the bait. He attempts to make his schemes and temptations look more appealing than what God is offering. Can I tell you that he is a personalized strategy for your life? A scheme designed to deceive you, to trick you into bondage and ineffectiveness. That's why the Bible tells us to not be unaware of the enemy's schemes. Don't be unaware, don't be ignorant of them, is one translation says. Because the 2 Corinthians 2.11 says he's trying to outwit us. He, he wants to trick you so that he can make you ineffective in your Christian walk. This is probably too much, and I, I toyed with taking it out of my notes, but I'm not going to. Um, one of the scriptures I pray over my grandchildren all the time is I say, thank you, Lord, that you say that you send your angels charge over them to protect them in all their ways. Do you know that scripture? So that tells me that there are angels that are dispatched to protect and watch over us, to keep us from stumbling. Are we all in agreement with that? Well, so 
Satan, this is, this is really um, a misnomer. Some of you think that Satan is equal to God. He is not equal to God. Can I tell you? He's not even on the same level as God. He's a created being. He is, he is nothing compared to God. He is not omniscient. He is not omnipotent. He's not all-powerful. He's not all-knowing. He's not everywhere. He can't be everywhere <laughs> like God. But he can have his little forces. See, when he fell, a, a, a bunch of angels fell with him. I believe those are his demons. I believe they're dark angels. And just like I say, Lord, would you just send your angels charge over my grandchildren to guard them and protect them in all their ways? I believe that there are dark angels that are assigned to us as well. You say, I don't agree with that, Rhea. Well, then you don't understand the spiritual realm where there's a battle taking place for your very soul. Satan can't be everywhere. He doesn't know everything about you. And so he's got to have another strategy. I don't know how many of you are familiar with the term uh, familiar spirits. Are you familiar with that term? Uh, a familiar spirit is, um, it, it is uh, let me just read this to you. They're, they're assigned to you, I believe, from a young age. They have a demonic assignment on your life to survey you, to study you, your bloodline, and target your weaknesses and your vulnerabilities. Guys, this is a battle. This is not something we want to be ignorantly blissful about, blissfully ignorant about. We don't just want to like, I don't want to know this, I don't want to know this, I don't want to, well, then you're going to be a casualty. But I believe we see it in Job 1, seven, something like that, where, where Jesus, God is in the throne room, and he's with his angels, and all of a sudden Satan comes in. I wanted to say, what are you doing in the throne room is what I really want to know. But he says, where have you been, Satan? And this is Rhea's loose rendition. Satan says, I I've been going all over the earth looking for vulnerabilities and weaknesses. He's studying your life. Familiar spirits are surveying you, trying to find your weakness, something's familiar to you, something that, that you're going to be easily baited into. What is, what is familiar and common and enticing to me is not going to be familiar and common and enticing to Dave. He's going to have something different. They've studied you. They've studied your bloodline. They know what your weakness is, and you and I are told not to be unaware. Not to be unaware. My son is on the SWAT team. The last thing that he would ever do going into, he told me the other day that he is the first one in. I'm like, that is something a mom did not need to know. I, I want to believe you're the last one in. But he's the first one in. That boy would be crazy to go in there with his blue jeans and sneakers on. He goes in there armored. Armored. Their armor is so strong, Dave. What is the bullet that... It, that, that yeah, a rifle bullet can't even penetrate their, their armor um, because it's such strong armor. You have armor like that. But just like Tyler would be a fool to go into a dangerous situation without his armor on, you and I every day step into this world, into this natural realm, totally ignorant of a spirit realm that is warring against us. And we go without armor. And let me tell you, your armor is so much better than Tyler's. It extinguishes the enemy's fiery darts. He has no power. He has no power but what you give to him, what you surrender to him.
But these familiar spirits, they, they want to gather spiritual intelligence, that open door that will open a door to defeat in your life, to death and destruction. They're familiar with you. They, they know your weaknesses, your vulnerabilities, and your secret desires. Think about that the next time you want to give in to a weakness. Think about that the next time you think, ah, it's not a big deal. Nobody sees it. It's not really hurting anybody but me. Think about the fact that you have a familiar spirit. I, I see this in sexual spirits. Dave and I will tell you because we work with people with sexual addictions. I promise you, I can walk into a room and I'm not even, I couldn't even tell you. I said to somebody the other day, you could have a, a naked man come in here on a horse and I could tell you everything about the horse. Because I, I don't have a sexual spirit. It doesn't, it doesn't even phase me. However, I know some people that struggle with a sexual spirit. They can walk into a room with 500 people and, and, and if they're a female, there'll be a male with a sexual spirit across the room and they'll immediately make contact. That male would ignore me because I don't have a sexual spirit, but they will be like flies on flypaper to somebody who does have one. Do not be unaware of the enemy's schemes. All that sexual spirit is, is a familiar spirit that's attached itself to your life because it knows your weaknesses and your vulnerabilities. And it's going to capitalize on it. So when you say, well, hi, how are you doing? There's nothing wrong with me flirting with this man because I'm just being nice. When you don't put up a wall quickly against that spirit, you enable it and empower it. It's the same way with gossip. That's your weakness. I promise you every gossip in town is going to come to you with a chewy morsel. If you don't shut that thing down quickly, it will destroy you. It's the same way with my friend, with me, harboring offense, being hurt easily, nurturing that hurt, thinking, they were so mean to me, they said this mean thing to me. If we don't get rid of that thing quickly, it's going to open the door to bitterness, to unforgiveness, to hatred, to self-pity, and then we'll find ourselves a casualty. We've got to slam the door. Slam the door. Familiar spirits gain entrance into your life with something that feels harmless or unassuming to you, something you're comfortable allowing into your life. Usually, they usually form a relationship, you usually form a relationship with a familiar spirit through ignorance. They, like the devil, disguise themselves as something familiar, common, comfortable to you so that they can operate unaware in your life. That's why this teaching is so important. Their goal is to hijack you unaware. Uh, this, is, this is why people are drawn to palm readers, to mediums, uh, people that will say, you'll, you'll say, oh, I can't believe they told me they, they knew that about my life. Yeah, because they called up that familiar spirit in your life. That's what that is. That's why you want to stay as far away from them as possible. Every time Leslie and I go by an astrologer or a palm reader, we, say, we take authority over it and say, we render that null and void in the name of Jesus, that they're not going to function from that place anymore, that they're not going to have any knowledge, that, that, that we call it null and void in Jesus' name. We drain it of power in Jesus' name. We have that kind of authority. We're going to put them out of business. Church, we've got to rise up. That's also why you, when you struggle with a weakness, it's not just your flesh that's struggling. It's a familiar spirit capitalizing on your weaknesses and your vulnerabilities, constantly setting you up, hoping you'll take the bait and fall or at least stumble in defeat. That's why 1 Peter 5 says, be alert 
and of a sober mind, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. That's why Paul tells us not to be unaware of the enemy's schemes. That word scheme means to lie in wait. What does a lion do? He lies in wait. So isn't it interesting that Paul uses the word scheme and it means to lie in wait and then Peter tells us our enemy is like a lion. He is lying in wait for us, seeking to devour us. We have to be alert. I know that I've used Tyler over and over and over tonight. I promise I have six other kids, but, but he just works for me. Um, but I was up visiting him, and, and he has a big old, what is his, a Durango or something, a big old white truck, and the, the kids were in the back seat, and Tyler and I were in the front, and, you know, I miss my boy, and I'm just, uh, I'm engrossed talking to him, and I don't even know where we are. I'm not paying attention to anything going on around us, and uh, Tyler, I think, is deep in conversation with me, and all of a sudden, he whips the car around, this big old car around, and he does a U-turn, and he guns it, and I'm like, what is going on here? And, and what happened was, he's off duty, <laughs> talking to his mom, but he's alert, and he saw something in the bushes, and he whipped his car around to go, to go check it out. He was alert. His head was, is always moving. If you go any place with him, he's constantly, his head is, on a, is constantly spinning. He's constantly looking around. He's on alert. Even though he's off duty, he's on alert. I said to somebody today, you need to live on alert. You can't afford to let your defenses down. You're living like you're off duty and you need to be on alert because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, lying in wait for you, waiting, waiting for just the right moment to prounce because he wants to devour you. He wants to defeat you. He wants to make you ineffective need to be alert. We can't afford to be off duty. Ruth Paxson says, God has no place for a spiritual pacifist. Every Christian is conscripted for both defensive and aggressive warfare. He calls every saint to arms, not into a religious playground or a sports field, but into a grim, terrible, bloody conflict, are we called? Ray Studman says this, God has issued to each of us a bugle call to intelligent combat. It is a call to us to be men and women of God, to fight the good fight, to stand fast in the faith, and to be strong in the Lord in the midst of the battle, in the midst of this dark and evil world. Those who ignore this call and the battle that rages around them are doomed to be casualties. We cannot remain neutral. We must choose sides. We must align ourselves with the forces of God, the forces of good. We must answer the bugle call. We must pour out our, put on our armor and stand our ground, or the battle will roll over us, and in our defense, defenseless, bewildered state, the forces of evil will trample us into the dust of the battlefield. So we must learn to recognize how the dark systems of the devil work, but more than that, we must learn the processes of overcoming the systems of the devil, not by flesh and blood, not by joining committees, not by political action, not by taking up clubs or assault weapons or attacking any human enemy. No, Paul says, the weapons of our warfare are not flesh and blood weapons, not physical weapons, not political weapons. Rather, our weapons are mighty through God. So, in the weeks to come, 
we're going to just dig into the principles of spiritual warfare and what they mean and what they look like. We're going to practice some of them together. We're going to we're just going to have a, a good time over the next 10 weeks. I'm going to start next week probably, I can't promise you, but probably on the armor of God um, and then we'll we'll go from there. Um, but I, I, I'm telling you, the things that I've been studying, I've been studying all summer, the things that I've been studying are, are life-changing principles. We get to choose I'm just going to tell you this. See, some of you like defeat. You like that pity party of one place that you're living in. It's your identity. It's all you know. Um, but I'm just going to tell you, God is raising. When the enemy comes in like a flood, what does God do? He raises up a standard in his word. And I believe that God is raising up a standard. He wants his church ready to fight. He wants his, his church armed and dangerous. And we are going to learn to war. We're going to learn to war. I promise you it's going to be worth it. So let's pray. I'm going to ask just uh, Connor and Joe if they just want to come and close. And Kathy, if they just come and close with a song. But Father, I just thank you and I praise you. I praise you that we are not alone, that we fight from victory, Lord, not for it, and that you always lead us in triumph. Lord, I just, I just ask that you would just, uh, the word that went forth tonight, Lord God, that you would let it fall on hearts that are prepared and ready to receive it. I pray that it would bring a good harvest. I pray that, our, our, that we just continue to meditate and chew on the scripture, Lord, and that you bring even greater clarification, even greater revelation, Lord, as, as we study it together. Father, I pray in the weeks to come that you truly would make us armed and dangerous and that we would begin to, to um, have, not be ignorant of the enemy's schemes and have a knowledge of the spirit realm, Lord God, that we would look into the spirit realm like we never have before and that you truly would transform your people, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.